0: Two weeks ago i returned home from our uua's general assembly in pittsburgh pennsylvania general assembly for those of you not deep into the inside baseball of unitarian universalism is our annual conference where we do the work of governance of the whole association done by the work of delegates from our own churches because we are a congregational polity church and we are directed by the members who sit in the pews here. And so I went as a ministerial delegate. We were joined by one other in-person delegate, Felicia Orth, and Kathy Gursky, and Sue over here, Dryja, as our virtual delegates tuning in from remote and still being able to vote and participate in the discussions. If you were with us last week, then you were able to, no, two weeks ago, I'm sorry. Two weeks ago, while I was still at the assembly, you were able to see the video from the Sunday morning worship at General Assembly with about 2000 or more Unitarian Universalists gathered plus other welcome guests from the community. And you saw the sermon from the Reverend Manish Mishra Marzetti my colleague at our church in Ann Arbor Michigan and you heard him talk with with passion and, and with personal attachment to with about the need for change and the courage that it takes to change and the faithfulness that is needed to make changes in hard times when you are feeling at your lowest what you didn't hear in that service was the choir anthem that came right before it. And it's online, I will share a link to it just so you can see what I'm talking about. But right before he gave his sermon, the General Assembly Choir did a knockout arrangement of Bob Dylan's, The Times They Are a-Changin'. And you know, when I say knockout, I say that because it, it had even more soul to it than Bob's original rendition, and it's a pretty soulful rendition to begin with. And because of the arrangement, it was like hearing the song for the first time all over again. And listening to what Dylan was asking us to consider back in 1960-whatever at the heights of the civil rights movement and the protest against the Vietnam War, And right there was the heart of what the theme of General Assembly for this year was all about. Change is coming. And they decided to use the theme faithfully becoming, much like Reverend Banish talked about in his sermon. We are faithfully becoming the people we want to be, the faith we want to be in the communities as we want to see it and was framed in terms of the state of Unitarian Universalism right now, up against the state of our nation right now, responding to times that have changed, whether we like it or not, because of the pandemic, because of the political divisiveness in the country, the despair we feel watching anti-democracy on the rise or the creeping bits of fascism, and hearing the increased call for wider rights and acceptance of all kinds of people in this country, all within the wake of a pandemic that has done serious harm to all of our churches over this time, reduced our attendance every Sunday, our membership, churches struggling with finances, and a national movement that has seen the pool of religious professionals, ministers and religious education professionals especially starting to diminish because the times have changed in such a way that either they question their calling, question what they believe anymore, or have been rocked by everybody's fear over the times that have changed and especially post-pandemic church by the congregations that they serve. There is a shortage of professionals right now willing to work in parishes as a result of all of this. It is a national epidemic for us. Some have accused the UUA of forcing change upon us in these years, especially around the revision of our second article in the bylaws of the UUA, which we know as our principles. But much of the change that is coming isn't a desire so much as a response. The Reverend Chris Bice, who wrote our story this morning, preached the sermon at this year's Service of the Living Tradition, which takes place on Thursday evening and celebrates our religious professionals entering or leaving, mourning the deaths of those we have lost. And at the heart of his sermon, again, was courage, but also the stark reality that we're not changing because we want to, but because we have to. Times have changed and we can't stand still. Scary to think about. The one workshop I was able to attend in person that weekend was called, rather alarmingly and provocatively, Disrupt Church. It was the professional staff of the community church in Manhattan, a church that has been through it in some ways that outweigh even what we've been through. In recent years, they've gone from a large church with a six-building campus to having sold five of those buildings including their sanctuary and now worshiping in space that they rent from other church in the neighborhood. They've had to think creatively and differently about what church is and how we do it. And they asked a series of questions that have left me scratching my head and leading me to say, this is your conversations we need to have in our own congregation as well. Do the ways in which we do church, they ask, match our mission? Can we stop and think about where and how and when church could happen in our community? And they advise us that this conversation should be a slow process. We should not rush into big changes. We should let go of our expectations about what might come out at the end of those conversations because if we set out with expectations, we will be unable to see the good ideas that come out. And perhaps most importantly, And most frighteningly, they advise us that the old ways won't work again. Absolutely frightening if you're a religious professional and probably if you're hearing it as a member in the pew as well. Change is really, really uncomfortable, incredibly awkward an unknown that is frightening. Even when we want to change, even when we want to change, the outcomes may be scary. Especially when we are entering into the kind of work and the kind of conversations where we need to balance our current needs with the future that our values are calling us to build. We saw this play out as delegates this year in the form of a business resolution, a directive that is submitted as a, as a potential resolution to give to the Board of Trustees of our association, something they must do to carry out the business of the association. And if that sounds like it normally should just be a really boring thing that nobody would pay attention to, you're absolutely right. But the one business resolution this year came from the youth and young adults caucuses at General Assembly standing at the forefront of what environmental justice needs to look like, knowing full well in their youth just how desperate the situation is and what needs to change so they still have a world to grow old into. They proposed that the investment committee of the association divest itself from any other fossil fuel investments they have in their portfolio and any that are invested in the infrastructure that allows drilling to happen and further that the money that came from that divestiture be given away as reparations to communities and especially indigenous communities that have been harmed by drilling throughout the years. Balancing our current needs with the future our values call us to build We all know how desperate and how immediate the environmental situation is here around the planet. And yet, our investments as an association are done with a sense of value and faith that tries to do the best it can to keep the work of the association going that we all benefit from, that we all need right now, and especially at this time when all of our churches are facing regrowth and change. It was acknowledged that divestment was a good idea, but a major rejection was put out there to the reparations part, because it was a step too far. It would gut the budget of our association to a point where layoffs would happen, where programs would be cut at this time that we need it most, and yet. It was intensely compelling to hear our youth and our young adults talk about the situation. I don't know which way I was going at this, that discussion went on. And then one of our youth, who comes from an indigenous community in Alaska, spoke in tears about the real deaths that had come to her community because of the way drillings are cut out, carried out. And I was despondent. I did not know what to do. I wrestled for hours after the ballot opened for that day about how I would vote. And what I came to finally was a pretty solid confidence that the motion was not going to pass based on the tenor in the room So I voted for it because it met with my values. But I only felt comfortable voting for it because I knew it wasn't going to come through. And I'm still wrestling with the guilt that comes with, honestly, what's kind of a cynical calculation on my part. Change ain't easy. It is uncomfortable. The outcome was not great but the best that could happen under the circumstances. And despite the failure of the motion, the investment committee and the new board of the EUA expressed their recommitment to getting out of the fossil fuel business. But where I felt despondent in that regard, I still came out of the whole process with a sense of deep hope about who we are and where we're going. And that hope came in the form of how we handled the business of looking at revisions for Article II, our purpose and our principles and our sources. I presented the draft of that text in a sermon back in January and held a small group discussion with some of you to talk about your feelings on the changes and what you hoped might be changed or be seen as revisions happened. And in between that time and going to the assembly itself, something in the neighborhood of like 80-something amendments were proposed to correct language, change language, make a document that met more with the spirit of the people who were considering it. 30 or so of those were combined into single amendments where they were repetitive and, and then were presented as kind of the prioritized amendments to Article II. And debate and discussion ensued. And what I saw out of that was a process of discussion among people who did not necessarily agree about everything, but who all came with a spirit of wanting us to be the best we can be, to live in to the promises that we make whether or not we agreed with how we did that. What we came to the end was the creation of a document that reflected more of our whole sense of who we are and the values we want to broadcast into the world. Last week, when I talked about why I'm a Unitarian Universalist, I talked about the rabbinical tradition we seem to engage in, where we are in constant conversation with the people who have come before us and the ideas that have been expressed and all the literature that has been written, how we struggle and argue with the Emersons and the Thoreaus and the Channings of the world, deciding whether or not what they said then still applies today or what it means today when the world has changed so much trying to see if we need new ways of expressing it or new expressions at all. And this, this alone was one big example of what it means to say we are a living tradition. We have been in constant conversation with our principles from the moment they were passed in 1980-whatever. And what we see right now is the result of that 40 years of conversation around the values that we profess and put out into the world. We've learned new things. We've learned sometimes the way we express them doesn't express enough. It needs to find a way to draw the circle wider. And so we start to restate what our values are in ways that are compelling for the times and in ways that might be attractive to people who have not found us yet. So I left General Assembly hopeful, despite the minor anxiety attack I was having of being in a convention center with 2,000 other people with a mask on, but still that was a lot. are left hopeful because we are still, despite disagreements about who we are and how we carry out our missions, we are still behaving like the living tradition that we claim to be because we are having our conversations faithfully and we are trying to faithfully become who we want to be in the world. and i got to see that even though we know we struggle here we are all all of our churches navigating those same waters right now i won't say we're all in the same boat because some of us are set up better than others but we're all struggling and in the midst of the struggle some of us are finding new ways to think about church and how we can do church in times that have changed whether we like it or not that those who are making those discoveries are sharing them more freely with all of us so we don't all have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to do it alone. We are making it clear, no church has to go it alone in these times. And I'm hopeful because our new leadership sees us, sees our congregation, sees the struggle, and understands the struggle, too, because our association is right in those same waters with us. At the end of General Assembly, we affirmed the appointment of the Reverend Sophia Betancourt as our new president of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And I think she's an amazing choice. One, she's been a leader in Unitarian Universalism for two decades now. She's wicked smart, as we would say, where I grew up with a PhD in environmental ethics. And she's done the job before briefly when we had a co-presidency in 2017 after our president resigned. She's super qualified. And she is our first out queer Afro-Latina president, which, yeah, I know how we feel about identity politics one way or the other. Um, But I gotta say, in the face of the resurgence of Christian nationalism and conservative religion having a loud voice, that's one hell of a statement to make right now. But more than all of that, What struck me about her was the attitude she approaches the work with. I had the chance to sit in on two question and answer forums with her, one with the Minister's Association prior to General Assembly, and one at the General Assembly itself with the delegates. And what came out more clearly than anything to me listening, and I rewatched it again this morning just to get that sense again, is the level of compassion she brings in these weird, troubling, uncertain times. Communal care, she said more than once, communal care sits at the heart of her leadership philosophy. How we care for one another and expand that sense of care is the thing that's going to make the difference as we grow into this new world She said at one point, we've all been struggling, we were struggling with fear and scarcity even before we got up to the pandemic. We were struggling with that fear and that scarcity until 2020, and then the pandemic came and just exacerbated everything that we feared and were worried about. And in those years, we turned inward towards ourselves and we took care of one another in our congregations as best as we knew how. And now we emerge again. And now, now, she says, it is time for all of us to extend that sense of care back out into the world. Expand the sense of care and rebuild the relationships that may have been lost when we had to lock down. Someone asked... In that regard, so how do we care? How does the UUA care, but how do we care, all of us, especially for our small churches that are struggling so mightily in these times? She relayed the story that came from another one of her candidate forums earlier in the year when a minister asked or stated that it's been hard coming out of the pandemic. And if I to put a number to it, he said, I would say we're only at 70% of what we were before 2020. And she said, 70%. That's amazing. That's amazing. Don't feel like that's not enough. That's huge. What if... It's going to sound a little odd, especially to some of our leaders, but I want you to sit with it for a second. What if, what if the goal right now was just 40%? What if instead of running full speed towards 2019, we took time? We lessened and lowered our expectations. There's that disrupt church thing coming back into it again. Who we were in 2019 is not who we are now and may not be who we are ever again. What if instead of burning all of our energy to make it 2019 again, what if we took time out to just talk to one another? Took time for resting, for visioning, for reconnecting, Imagining. Let go of expectations. Imagine what we could be. It's easier, she said, it is easier to grow from 40% than it is to heal from the burnout that emerges from charging nonstop towards 150%. What I experienced at General Assembly was our experience here in our pews in Los Alamos, reflected on a big screen across our entire denomination. We are all coming out of hard times. Some of us worse for the wear than others, but all of us bloodied, but not yet bowed. We are all uncertain of what's Next, we're all scared of the unknown that changes may ask us to do. We may need to make to move forward, but we are all still believing in the values that guide us. We are all still in the conversation of a living tradition. We are all still willing to struggle with what our values mean and wanting to state them better We all want to still be the church we dream of in the time and the place where we are as it is. We've got our work cut out for us here. But I have hope we can do it. we worry less about what we expect to happen and worry more about giving ourselves the time to sit with one another and have those conversations and faithfully become who we want to be, maybe so.